It's Monday, August 20th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book Basic Christianity by John Stott. Dr. Rick, our Vice President of Engagement, will be leading us through chapter six, the consequence of sin. And uh, so this morning, I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. Rather than delving directly into the book, I want to hit at some of the ideas that uh, that Stott presents in uh, in chapter six uh, about the consequences of sin. But I'd really like to anchor us in a, in a particular text this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter three, and we're going to look at the, at the original sin, look at the first sin, um, and, and use the backdrop of, of the entry of sin into the world and, and the fall um, to be um, sort of the, the, the story that we draw from to understand the consequences or, or the results of sin. And of course, we won't take time to read to read the entire text, but we know the story of um, of what's recounted in in Genesis chapter three. And so, in the fall, um, the serpent comes to Eve and tempts Eve with the idea of of becoming like God and taps into. Um, something that had obviously been selfishly stirring in Eve prior to um, even this moment. And, and so Eve takes of the fruit of the tree of life and she eats it and her eyes were opened. Uh, she gives it to Adam and he eats it and his eyes were opened. The Bible tells us that that their eyes were opened and they and they realized that they were naked, and so therefore they they tried to cover themselves um, by using fig leaves to to build loincloths, um, and they hid from God. They heard God coming in in the the cool of the afternoon, and and as as was the custom, they would normally join with God and walk with God and be present with God, but instead they ran and they hid from Him. And, and so um, then God begins to question Adam and Eve about why, why they're hiding and what, what's going on. And, 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 and they then begin to play the blame game. And, and Eve, uh, Adam begins to blame Eve. Eve begins to blame the serpent. Um, they, they each have, have a way of blame shifting um, in, instead of owning their own sin. And then we see that, um, you know, that that God pronounces um, the result of their sin and, and, and sort of presides over this moment where he talks about the consequences of this sin for the serpent, um, for Eve and for Adam and for all of their descendants that would come after them. Um, with regard to the order of the family, he talks about the consequences of um, childbearing and the grief that successive generations would bring. He, he talks to, to Adam about the, the toil that he will give in work and not that work is bad, but that ultimately what is bad is that, that his work won't always turn out in, in good product and that he's going to have to toil and sweat um, and, and, and work through difficulty that, that otherwise wouldn't have been present um, had not there been the presence of sin. And then ultimately, uh, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and God sets a guard at the gate um, and, and, and prevents them from crossing back in and, and partaking of the tree of life. And so death um, through sin is, is entered, enters into the world. And so um, really five things that I want us to talk about this morning out of this text, and we'll jump into 
several specific passages in order to talk about it. But but the first is, um, beginning in verse 7, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves uh, loincloths. And, and so in, in the text, the, the Bible tells us in the, in, in the English that their eyes were opened. Right, and that's that's what Eve was ultimately tempted with. That that Satan convinced her that she would be like God in knowing good and evil if if only her eyes were opened. Um, what Eve found out was that, the, that really the quest here was that that Eve was trying to put herself in the place of being God. And if we're all really honest, that that's that sits at the root of of our very sin nature and and the and the very difficulty that we have in in continuing to live in the presence of sin, but then also continuing to um, to fall and stumble and sin ourselves. That, you know, I've heard it said before, and there's, a, there's an old cliche that, that the problem with living sacrifices, if we talk, you know, about the way that Paul tells us to be a living sacrifice, the problem with living sacrifices is that living sacrifices um, often want to crawl off the altar. Um, and I would extend that to say that that not only do living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar, but they have a tendency to want to crawl up into the throne. And and so not only do we do we struggle to sacrifice ourselves and and to and to put God in in His proper place in in our, our lives and our awareness and our obedience, but the fact is that that a lot of our sin is self focused and and is is really what we would call bondage to self. And so in, in this idea that, that in this pursuit of freedom from God and freedom from the constraints of God, unwittingly what, what, what Eve stepped into and what Adam stepped into is, is they stepped into um, a, a much greater bondage than they ever could have imagined before they experienced it. And it was, it was the bondage of being slaves to their own appetites. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about this very thing. And, and what he says in Mark chapter 7 really illuminates the thing that we see going on here um, in Genesis chapter 3. And so in Mark 27, beginning in verse 20, and he said, this is Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. In other words, Jesus is saying to us that that in this great question that we we sometimes tend to to wrestle with, um, you know, in in terms of learning and psychology and those things, is it is it our nature or is it nurture? Is is our obedience and disobedience is it something that that comes from within and that it's it's sort of preborn and prewired, or is it something that we learn? And 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 something I can tell you that that from the experience, we're we're walking through this again with our now ten month old grandchild who is the most precious child in the world. And if you want to email us here at info.lifelinechild.org, I would gladly share pictures and great stories of how smart and beautiful and incredible our grandchild is. But but as smart and beautiful and wonderful as she is, the other thing that I know is, is that she is sinful to her core, that she is absolutely broken irrevocably, and that in her nature is the ability to sin. 
We, we don't have to teach our kids how to sin. We don't have to give them classes to know how to disobey God or how to, how to think selfishly and, and, and towards self-preservation. What we, what we know is that within us, beginning with Adam and Eve, the, 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 the capacity exists that we will inevitably exercise on for us to sin. And, and thinking that and being deluded that that ultimately is going to free us. And we so, so many times look at our sin and think, only if we can cast off the bonds of, of laws and rules, only if we can cast off the restraint of, of God's intent for us or expectations of us, then we can be free. But the truth is that when, when, the, when our eyes are opened, what we, what we begin to realize is it, it's the depth of our own needs and wants, our seeking of freedom that, that leads us toward being slaves to our own appetites, and we are in great bondage. Um, and so Jesus came ultimately to, to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, but to, but to free us from our seeking of freedom. Number two, if you go down to, to beginning in verse eight, we see the second thing, and that's alienation from God. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife and the, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, jokingly, I told our staff today as we were studying this passage that um, you know that this was this was the first episode truly of Naked and Afraid, and whatever that TV show's about, I really don't have any idea other than just seeing um, advertisements and promotions for it. But but this is this is really the first moment of, of truly someone being being naked and afraid. And, and the reason that, that they were naked, they realized their nakedness, and the reason that they were afraid is because, because they were completely aware that what they had done, had, had, they had disobeyed God, and they had ultimately alienated themselves from God. And, and in, their, in the very core of their being, Adam and Eve knew that they were not made to be separated and, 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 and be apart from God, that their sin had caused something that was unnatural. Many times as I've, as I've preached funeral services and have ministered to, to families of believers who have, have lost their loved ones, I think one of the things I see over and over and over is that, that many times as believers, we have mixed emotions as we grieve. And sometimes, quite frankly, we don't grieve well. And, and the reason is because we think that we shouldn't have grief. Um, that, that somehow because we know and we have the assurance that we're going to see our loved ones again in glory, um, that, that we, we really don't give ourselves over to the hurt and the separation that we feel in the moment because they're not with us. And, and truly what I would say is that we grieve like those who, who, who have hope, not like those who don't have hope. And so we grieve differently, but yet we should grieve. And why we grieve is, is because of this, this reason that, that we are made for relationships that do not end. We are, there's a sense in us that we know that something is wrong when a relationship is broken and when we're out of the presence and out of the lives and out of the immediacy of each other, that death has robbed us of something that we're not supposed to be robbed of. And, and, and in the same way, Adam and Eve were standing in the midst of this experience of being robbed of, of an unbroken, unfettered relationship with God, and they knew it, and they were scared, and so they tried to cover themselves, and they tried to fix it, and they tried to do everything that they could, but what we understand and what we know now is that we can do little much about the brokenness that we experience, that Jesus came 
that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, ultimately um, to fix that alienation. Um, we, we know that, um, that, that in, in account after account in, in the Old Testament, as people encountered God, that there's this, this rhythm of people, if, when they encounter God in presence, that they come undone understanding their own sin and understanding how far they are um, from the character of God. But, but praise the Lord, we can look in Matthew 27, 51, that great passage that, that upon the death of Jesus, that the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And it's significant that it's from the top to the bottom because it means God did the tearing. No one stood on the ground and tore the Holy of Holies. No man ripped the Holy of Holies and, and, and opened up the presence of God. But God ultimately opened up his presence to us through the work of Jesus so that we don't have to remain alienated from God. If you go down to verse 11, we see the third thing, and it says, And he said, being God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you, told, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me f- the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate it. And so in other words, the blame game starts here. And, and what happens, we see the third point that, that ultimately enmity starts with others, others as a result of sin. That part of the consequences of sin is that we're going to be in, in war and conflict and disagreement and that, that the presence and the reality of sin um, means that, that there is always going to be strife. That immediately they didn't own their own sin. Adam didn't admit his own sin. He pointed to his wife and he said, she's the reason. Then, then God asked, asked Eve and, and, and she didn't own her own sin. She, she pointed at the serpent and she said, he's the reason. Adam even intimates in here that maybe God's the reason. You know, if you didn't give me this woman, if you didn't create her, then, then maybe I wouldn't be in the place that I'm in now. But the, the truth is that as we deal with our sin, we, we understand that, that the reason that we have borders and the reason that we have laws and the reason that we live in the kind of world we live in is because of the deceitfulness of the human heart and, and that ultimately our sin will put us at contention with others. Um, James, our brother, writes to us a little bit about this in, in James chapter 4, and I don't like James many times because he steps on my toes. And this is one of those places. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Why? Because of sin, right? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not and, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, there is a brokenness within us that even given the opportunity to ask for the right thing, we won't because of our sin and that ultimately the only thing that can fix that, the only thing that can redeem is Jesus. Now, beginning going down to verse 14, we see the fourth principle that, that the world is out of order because of sin, that one of the consequences is that we live in the middle of a world that is full of brokenness and it is not as it was created to be. So the Lord God said, 
to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, verse 16, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, pain in in pain you shall bring forth children, you shall desire you should your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, that we live in a world where death exists and it shouldn't. We live in a world where brokenness exists and it shouldn't. We're painfully aware here, here at Lifeline as we seek to bring um, the gospel to bear in the lives of vulnerable children and families that we have work to do because something has gone wrong and something has broken as a result of living in a world that is affected by sin, that's full of disease, that's full of uh, depravity, that's full of um, rejection, that's full of abandonment, um, that's full of all kinds of things that cause children um, to be separated from families and children um, to to be vulnerable. And, and so every day, I think we have to remind ourselves that if we are going to have the strength to deal with a world that is out of order and to speak into it truth, there is only one place that we can go. There is only one reserve that we can draw on, and that is Jesus. That Jesus has come and he has, has stepped into the middle of this mess to set it right through his sacrifice on our behalf. That God himself has done the work to atone for sin. And, and, and to bring about the recreation of the world. And we strain for that day. We look forward and anticipate the day that the book of Revelation speaks about when, when this world will be made over, when, when things that we know that are broken by sin will be brought to an end and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more orphans and there will be no more widows and there will be more, no more divisions and we will live in unity because we will be living under the authority um, and under the reconciliation and redemption of our King Jesus. So then finally, we, we see this last piece that, um, th- that, quite frankly, Stott doesn't talk about a lot in basic Christianity, and I, I, but I think we have, to, we have to wrestle with is that the final consequence of sin that we need to deal with is the, is the consequence of eternal separation. If we look down in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made, at, made for Adam and Eve, made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like, like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the, placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
And, and so in other words, there, there is this sense of eternal separation. Hell is a reality that, that, we, that, that Adam and Eve were not just separated in this moment physically from the garden, but ultimately they, they were separated from a life that would continue and a life that would go on unending. And that, um, that ultimately sin, our sin brings about spiritual death. Um, it also it, it brings about physical death, but it also brings about spiritual death. And that we need the intervention of Jesus. Remember the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus in, in Luke chapter 16. The, the rich man, you know, asked and says, Could, couldn't Lazarus even just dip his finger in, in, in a little water and put it on my tongue because I am on fire? I am burning, but I, but I don't die and I'm not consumed. He was talking about this, this position of eternal torment. And I think we need not forget that one of the consequences of sin is except from receiving and following Jesus, that the destination of every person, person in humanity is, is hell that was, that was made for the devil and his angels. A place of eternal torment, a place of eternal separation from God, a place of completely no hope, a place of no more redemption. And so this morning, I would close by, by reminding us that that is the destiny of every person in the world who doesn't claim the name of Jesus and doesn't become a follower of Jesus through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And so that ought to motivate us. I think we need to remember the consequences of our own sin, that apart from what Jesus has done for us, that we too would be in the same place and that we identify with our own sin and our own need. And that should motivate us to carry the gospel and to carry the good news of what Jesus has done as far as we possibly can and give it to as many people as we possibly can. Because ultimately, they stand um, looking squarely into the consequence of eternal separation from God without the life-giving good news, the gospel. And so today, I hope you're encouraged to remember the consequences of sin and what it is that Jesus has redeemed us from. I hope today that you'll draw motivation and that today, maybe God will put someone in your path that you can talk about the good news and that you can celebrate being freed from the consequences of sin, both in this life, but ultimately in the life to come. Well, thanks, Dr. Rick. And this week, we are praying for the country of Guatemala. We're praying specifically that the gospel will go forward brightly in the midst of a religious but not Christ-centered culture. We're praying for the children in Guatemala, many who reside in orphanages. And we're praying that they will grow up in places where there is no family. And right now, inter-country adoption is not an option in Guatemala. And so many of these children will age out of these orphanages back into uh, mainstream life. And we're praying for caregivers in homes. We're praying that they will have the energy and the endurance to meet all of the children's needs. We're praying for our partner, Village of Hope, and we're praying for wisdom as Lifeline continues to partner with them through unadopted and caregiver training program. We're praying specifically for Todd and Amy Block, who are at the Village of Hope, that God would just give them wisdom and, and encouragement and strength. We're praying for uh, just uh, that the, they would have the endurance and an ever-renewing sense of purpose, courage and energy while they manage the home. And we're praising the Lord for the work that's being done at Village of Hope and how they have been able to pursue serving HIV positive children and teen mothers and their babies. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for what we see you doing through Village of Hope in Guatemala. We thank you for Todd and Amy Block and for their faithfulness to follow you and to do what you ask them to do. And we just pray that you give them wisdom. We pray that you give them endurance. And we pray that you just renew their sense of purpose, their courage, and their energy. We just ask that you would help evangelical believers to take the gospel and to evangelize their country so that the gospel would go forth in a very religious but not Christ-centered culture. And Lord, would we just uh, change the hearts and the minds of the government and change the hearts and the minds of the people and direct them directly to you. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful that you have such a huge heart for the nations and specifically for the country of Guatemala. So would you be with her children and her people and make your name and your renown and your glory bright in the country of Guatemala. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.